We figured it was going to be best that we would take some of the questions that we've had submitted. and So we've been answering those over this last period of time now. And, uh, but we had quite a few questions that just didn't require necessarily a full service or uh, to give full attention to. And so we decided we were going to finish this up by doing a panel. So we're going to hit about, I don't know, seven or eight different questions this morning. And uh, if you want and if we have time, I think they're trying to get the Adam's number up there on the screen... You can text him uh, questions even this morning. So if we say something and it's not clear to you or maybe uh, we've answered something previously, if we have time today, we'll get to those. If not, I may just send you personal responses and uh, just so that you get an answer to your question. And, uh, you know, uh, one question that nobody asked, but I'll just answer it anyways, um, is how our church operates. And, uh, you know, so part of how we operate is the way I would say is that we are pastor-led, which means that I set the vision, but I have a board. And so I have people that I'm here locally accountable to. And so Joey and Adam are both board members. Uh, There's some of our board members in the church. And so in case you're ever wondering, like, who's, who's watching me? These guys do. And uh, there's some of the guys. And then also I have Pastor Sam, who's my pastor, and several other people um, that are ministers as well. Uh, most of them are pastors. Actually, all of them are pastors that know me. And so they offer spiritual accountability. And so in case you're ever wondering about those types of things, our government and how we're set up, that's how we're set up. And so I only make certain decisions. And usually I don't make many decisions without counseling uh, these guys specifically because they're here local with us. And uh, so in case you've ever wondered and you didn't know, there's your answer. And, uh, but I have a question that I have to give some clarity to to start this morning because I got some feedback from one of the uh, questions that I tackled. And it was actually from when me and Dara uh, had done this together. And so I need to give a little bit of clarity on a question because some of the ladies were not happy with my answer, quite honestly. And so here was the question uh, that was asked. And uh, they told me that I let the men off the hook. And I was like, well, I didn't think they did. I did. But the question was this, is why is it that husbands are putting so much on their spouses or their wives and not willing to help when asked? And so, you know, one of the things that I did say about this is that marriage is a partnership. You know, is that it is a give and take and that it, there's an equal side. I remember when me and Dara were doing pre-marriage counseling with Pastor Sam. He asked me, he said, David, is Dara going to work? And I said, yes, sir. And he said... You realize that means you're going to have to help with the dishes then, right? You're going to have to help around the house if she's going to work. You know, and so one of the things, and specifically the main thing I would say is that, you know, is that marriage is about a connection between two people, yes, but it is a partnership. There's a give and take, and there are different seasons of life as well. You know, um, you know I mean, we're kind of out of it now, but when Max was really small, Dara needed more help around the house. Why? Because he's all-consuming. He's, you know, and he still can be at days. And so there's days that she needs me to help. And it doesn't matter what I've been doing. I need to serve my wife well. And I need to be a good husband to her. And I need to be a good uh, father to my son. And so there's days that I'm tired when I get home. But that's irrelevant. My family needs me. And and I would say that that goes both ways. uh, Is that there is serving going from the husband to the wife. But also from the wife to the husband. And so there ought to be mutual support. On both sides of that. And so regardless of, you know, because we all have days that we get too much on our plate. There's just some days, I mean, I'm going to say this very clearly. Suck it up. Both On both sides. There are some days that maybe you're the wife or maybe you're the husband and you realize my spouse has had a very difficult day. 
So I'm going to take care of dinner and I'm going to, you know, do the dishes or I'm going to take, you just, hey, you go sit down and you don't worry about this stuff. I'll take care of it. And if you got kids, even better, make them do it. Like, you know, that's what you had kids for, right? So, hey, y'all come over here and y'all do this stuff. And so hopefully that adds a little bit of clarity to the question here. Um, But we did have another question and this one here, we're not going to take a lot of time on. Uh, We're going to speak to it briefly, but there's not really an easy way to give an answer. There's too much information. So I'm going to read you the question, then we're going to give you our thoughts on it quickly, and then we'll move into the ones that we really wanted to give time to this morning. Uh, It was this, at what point, if ever, does a person get involved in another person's personal business? So at what point do you step into somebody else's business? It says, when it concerns a child's welfare especially. It says, I have a friend whose daughter is on drugs. She has two kids, and she has technical, or she has technically has custody of them, and allows, uh, and that allows her to use their food stamp card, child support money, all those types of things. The grandmother is taking care of the girls, which she can't afford to do. But the mom is in and out without giving a dime of their money for help for the kids to support her own lifestyle. Do you continue to go on to let this go on, or turn it in and hope for the best with DHS? So, I mean, here's just a you know real world example. Uh, does anybody want to tackle this one first? Sure, why not? Adam's going to take it. Uh, I mean, what we talked about, the biggest answer for this question is ultimately everything that we do is Holy Spirit-led. And when it, when it involves other people, you have to be completely led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in a situation like this, for me personally, the way I look at it is I don't step into anybody's business until this child has no one else to fend for them. When it comes to this, this situation that we're looking at, uh, the grandparent is apparently taking care of the child. The grandparent is apparently at least somewhat capable of doing that. For me to step into her business isn't my business uh, in any way, shape, form, or fashion because ultimately that's more dangerous than trying to take care of If it was a child that all it had was parents on drugs and it's being left at the house and that kind of stuff, that's a completely different situation. But there's so many variables in this question that it's hard to answer this question. But the ultimate answer, of course, for me is being led by the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to a child, if they don't have anyone, yes, you should step in. But if they have someone to take care of them, you should talk to that person. You should talk to that grandparent. If that grandparent decides they want to call DHS, that's their business. But uh, Joey made a point about a, a scripture uh, that would fit with this. Yeah, so uh, in Proverbs twenty six seventeen it says, You grab a mad dog by the ear. This is the message version. It says, You grab a mad dog by the ears when you butt into quarrel. That's none of your business. But in the interest of the child and the grandmother, I believe that from looking at it from the other standpoint, um, especially... Considering the, the work that I, that I actually do is an intervention. You know, if there's a child um, that's, that's not being well taken care of, uh, that's abuse, right? And so we also have, from the grandmother's standpoint, it sounds like she's by herself and she's trying to, um, and it's not her place to, to truly, it's, it's the mother's place to step up and take care of the child, but obviously, obviously that's not happening. So from a, mother, a grandmother's standpoint, she may be on a fixed income. So uh, Adam hit it right on the head. You have to truly be led. Uh, but if, if there's abuse from elderly abuse and, and, of course, child abuse from just not being well taken care of because of the lack of responsibility of somebody else, I would say step in, obviously being led. Let me reemphasize that part. So, um, I mean, there are, there are three lives here at stake. There's three lives that we're talking about here. So 
Well, I think, you know, it's a, you know, I don't remember exactly how you worded it when we were talking about this, but I like your paraphrase better of the scripture. He said, if you grab a dog by the ear, you'll get bit. And, uh, you know, and when you get involved in somebody else's life, especially if you're not invited, you know, I mean, especially if you're not invited, it's a very, it's a very tender circumstance. I'll say it that way. Um, and you do have to be led, and you better be praying, and you better know that it's the Lord, and if you even somewhat slightly wonder, is this the Lord? Don't move. Um, you know, and, and but I agree with exactly what these guys have said. Uh, if there's, you know, the only way I would personally do that is if there was no one, no one else to defend them or to take care of them. But anytime, you know, uh, you just have to be very careful. Uh, you know, put yourself in the reverse you probably don't like people up in your business either. And uh, so you do have to be careful. But it, it, if there is abuse or if there's something uh, that could be very detrimental to those children, I'm always a defender of kids first. Um, you know, adults make decisions. Kids have lives that they got put into. Um, you know, and so uh, those are things that we would say. So, But let's move on and we'll get to this first question here. <clears throat> and it says... Uh, how do you get back to God being first in your life when you've made him last for so long? What is the first step? It's a legitimate question. A lot of people have this. Like, man, you know, um, just trying to figure out, okay, I've been away from God. I've not made him a priority. How, how do I, what do I do first? How do I get back to that place? And so, um, Joey, you want to tackle that one first? Yeah, so whether you're a little bit away from God or a lot away from God, it's still the relationship is not where it should be. So... Obviously, we have to have to go to the Word to see what the Word says. And I thank God every day for First uh, John 1, 9, where it says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. One translation uh, says that to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you don't have a right relationship with Him, that's a life of unrighteousness, right? So we truly have to unplug from the world intentionally. You know, I always like to bring up the book that we... That we studied on a Wednesday night back several years ago by a, a man named Art Sepulveda. Yeah. And not said, said his right name or last name right, but it's pretty close. <laughs> it's called Living Life on Purpose. And I, I recommend everybody in this room getting that book. It's an outstanding book. It's an easy read. Uh, and it's full of wisdom and direction on how we should live our lives as men and women of God. So uh, living our life on purpose and... And intentionally unplugging from the world. We talked about distractions and things. We have all these electronics. We have work. We have, uh, you know, house. We have life really happening. We have children to raise and school and dance and piano and so many things. So you have to do it intentionally and step away from the activities of the world because it's not going to happen by itself. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's like, oh, well, how did I end up in this chair with a Bible in my lap? Or just, you know, giving God the time intentionally giving father i thank you that i sit down here today intentionally unplugging from the activities of the world making myself available to you for you to be able to speak into my life and sit there with an open heart and ears to hear the voice of god because each one of us in here if you're born again believer you can hear the voice of god that's right yep uh one of the things i was thinking about while he was talking was you know, the question asked for the first step, well, there's many steps after that. They're, they're going to be involved in that process. Uh, but one of the things I think about is identifying what you've put above him. You know, you need, you need to sit down and really figure out, okay, 
What is it that I placed above God in my life? And how do I begin to put that below God? What are the steps I need to do? Do I need to cut off certain relationships? Do I need to stop doing certain things uh, in order to get my relationship back where it's supposed to be? You know, you may have to put friendships aside for a little while in order to get back where you need to be with God. You may need to put down hobbies. You may need to put down television. There may be certain things in your life that you need to set aside uh, to get back to where you want to be at. So, Yeah. Yeah, my thought on this was keep it simple. You know, don't overcomplicate it, you know. I mean, especially if you've once walked with the Lord and now you're trying to come back, you're not going to pick up where you left off. Right. You know, and, but that's our tendency. Like, well, i got to be back where I was. Well, you know, you're not where you once were. So keep it simple. And the key is to be consistent. You know, and what I mean by that is this, is that, like as an example, you need to start reading your Bible on a consistent basis. Get a, either a Bible reading plan, get a devotional, do something that you can follow easily. Amen. You know, I mean, there's the Version Bible app, and they've got devotionals, five-minute devotionals. You start every day with a scripture and a thought. And that can be a great way and just, a, a, you know, kind of ask for the first step. Well, keep it simple. Right. Keep it, don't overcomplicate it. You know, and, and so you do that. I mean, you can do things as well. I mean, so, you know, get a Bible reading plan, get a devotional, something that you understand. You know, one of the things I always encourage you is to get a Bible you understand. Don't get some Bible that you don't talk like, <laughs> you know, because it's not going to make sense to you. That if they talk in these and thousand, well, I don't talk like that at all. So, um, and the other thing is I would encourage you just to create an atmosphere for God's presence, especially in the places where you can control your car, your house, that kind of stuff. Play praise and worship, pray, ask the Lord. Um, you know, and you have to act beyond your feelings. Like, well, I don't feel like it. Well, there's lots of days I don't feel like it. That's irrelevant. I'm going to stay, take a step of faith and act beyond my feelings, and I'm going to act. You know, James 4, 8 says this. It says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Amen. If you make a motion towards God, He's already moving your direction. So how do you get back close to God? You take a step in His direction. Get some consistency, build some habits back into your life, some spiritual habits, and that will help get you going in the right direction. So... The next question, we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to jump through these kind of quick. This one I thought was a really good question, but it says, does God call people to a church or to a pastor? I've never actually thought about this, but that's a great question. Does God call people to a church or to a pastor? Here's my answer, both. And here's why. Because God won't just lead you to one over the other. They're intertwined. And so let me give you an example. You can't go to a church and say, I love that church, but I hate that pastor. Because right. you can't be fed by the shepherd of the house. So, you know, I mean, that's just the truth. And the same is, and I've heard people say things like this. Man, I love that church, or I love my church, but man, I really don't like that pastor. That's a dangerous place to be. And so if you love the pastor, you should love the church. If you love the church, you should love the pastor. And if you can't, you need to go find a new church. Quite frankly. Um, You know, because, you know, the thing is, and and many of us even know this, like I, I didn't apply for this job as pastor of this church. It wasn't any, I mean, I was quite unaware. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking for it. 
But the Lord spoke to Pastor Dennis, who was the previous pastor, and said, call Sam Carr, who was my pastor who I worked for at the time. And when they asked me about it, I thought, well, I'll look at it, but I'm not really interested. I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. But the Lord had a different plan. You know, and so obviously we're here. And we've been here now for a little over, or just at two years, I guess. And, uh, you know, so to me, this is a heart thing more than anything, Uh, you know, to really answer the question. And so, yes, I mean, like there are some people that may come here because they've met me somewhere, just as an example. And they may say, hey, I kind of like you. I'd like to see, to check out his church. They may come here for me. They're not going to stay here for me. They're going to stay here because of the church. Because the church is way bigger than just me. You know, and so, um, I mean, God may call you to a church, but you're going to have to get behind the vision of that pastor. And vice versa. So, do you guys have anything to add to that? Well, I would say it was um, not just the way the the questions actually worded does God, but I think he he, he will mm-hmm. uh, if we give him an opportunity. We, we've heard over the years uh, that, you know, my grandpa went to this church, my great-great-grandpa went to this church, and this is kind of where I'm going to go to church. But if if that's not where God wants you to be, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. It's going to be a difficult um, way of life. You have to be in a body of believers where you can be plugged in, where God wants you to be plugged in to yeah. make the biggest impact for the kingdom. And that's right. what it's all about. It's not whether I like the carpet or these chairs. I can't go over there, man. Them, them wooden pews, man, kill my back. Well, stand up, you know, or bring your own chair. I don't know. Uh, yeah, bring a pillow. Miss Margaret said, bring a pillow. It's got LSU on it. Uh, and, <laughs> and so before going out and visiting every church, save yourself some time. Give God first opportunity, as we always yeah. should, and say, Lord, my family and I have a heart for you, and we want to be plugged into the body of believers where we can make the biggest impact and where we can grow as you would have us to grow into the full image of the Lord Jesus Christ. No. So, Father, I thank you that as we, as my family stays together, prays together, we've, I thank you that we can hear your voice and the voice of a stranger we won't follow. No. And, and trust in that he will lead you to the body of believers where you're supposed to be plugged in at. Don't just go and sit and listen to a pastor and say, well, I went to church this morning. That's not the goal, right? There's actually a purpose and reason why we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ask the Lord. Be led. Like Adam was talk- Pastor Adam was talking earlier, be led. Amen. Yeah. Uh, as far as, like, personally, someone being called to a church or pastor, I've heard different stories. And I'm sure there are going to be times, I mean, Pastor David knows a lot of people he's come in contact with over the years in different ministries. And someone may get the, may get the calling and say, hey, I need you to go help Pastor David at North Point Church to do something uh, in that city. And they may get that because I, I've heard testimonies of people saying I was called to help a certain pastor. But when they get here, like we're talking about, they're there for both the church and the pastor. It's not just the pastor. But then there are times that people, I've heard testimonies, somebody saying, hey, I need you to move to this city and go to this church. So you're going you're gonna to get the answer either or where someone may hear God speak specifically a pastor's name or a, a church name. So it can be that in that sense, the calling of one of those two. But it, like you said, it's always for the church body and for that pastor as a whole uh, anytime that you're at a church. Yeah, it's pretty hard to separate them, yeah. you know. Um, one of the things I would remind you of is that uh, when we started this, one of the things that we talked about was that we wanted to answer questions so that you would also know how to help 
people know the questions. And one of the things, and this ties in with what uh, Joey was talking about, is that, you know, if somebody's in a church that they're not being fed at, that they're not receiving life from, you know, and that, and that may be, I mean... We have somebody that comes to our church periodically, and they were in a church newly saved for over a year, and they told me, they said, I've learned absolutely nothing. I know nothing about the Bible. I have no idea uh, what I should do. And they're like, I've been going to church for a year, and I don't, I haven't learned any. like, I don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, and that does happen. And so you may have a friend who's in a, you know, what we would call a dead church. In other words, God's not moving. God's not speaking to people. God's not helping people. And if you find somebody in that situation, then it's exactly what he said. They've got to pray and hear from God and be led by the Lord to do that. So uh, the next question that we had was uh, when receiving tongues. So we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It says when receiving tongues, is it normal or okay to only have three words or to mumble and have or and or have sounds and noises. So I'm gonna let Adam take this one. He was gonna share some of his story about this. Uh, short answer: Yes, it's 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 okay. Uh, for years, I got I, I got filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of eight. So at the age of eight, you know, all I knew was three or four syllables, and and I would just speak those out as 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 I as I felt like I could. Uh, and years later, someone began to teach me. Uh, about developing my, 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 my prayer language. And the thing is, you're not going to find in the Bible any teaching on how to speak in tongues. There's, there's nothing in the Word of God that teaches you how to do it. Uh, it tells you the importance of it. It tells you that it's necessary. But you're not going to get that teaching that tells you how to do it. And so, just like Jesus taught when he was here on earth, he used natural things to explain spiritual uh, applications. And so for me, someone began to talk about it in the sense of when we're first born and we first learn to speak, we learn syllables. Uh, as, as babies, we're just mumbling and we're just saying the things that we're hearing and we're trying to replicate sounds. And so when you first get your prayer language, it's okay to realize that you're beginning a language. You're learning to talk uh, to God in, in a prayer language. And for me, one of the things that, that helped me was someone began to talk about we, we get into this mindset of, and I was, I was this way, that first of all, I just need to, to, to blurt them out as fast as possible. Just start, just start, and just start, just say syllables as fast as you can. That was kind of the mindset that I had. Uh, and so one of the things that I learned was, first of all, slow down. Begin to, begin to treat it like a language. Begin to speak like you're actually talking to God uh, in, in, a, in a prayer language. And the other thing was to realize that we, we say this all the time, but for some reason it, it goes in one ear and out the other for a lot of people, is the Holy Spirit is not going to grab your tongue and waggle it. You know, we try to tell people that when you get your prayer language that you don't just open your mouth and the Holy Spirit starts wiggling your tongue and forming words. You have to be a part of the process. And because you're a part of the process, whatever, whatever sounds you make are made by you. They're made by me. And so I began to intentionally uh, sound out other syllables that weren't normal to me. 
And just like a child is learning a new language, as they as they try to mimic those things, I find out what what's right and what's not a part of my, my prayer language. And so for me, it was it was a as a process of just saying, okay, I don't have to complicate this. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. Uh, I'm not being overtaken by the Holy Spirit. I'm a part of this process. Allow yourself to be a part of that process and allow your language to begin to blossom just like you would if you were a child. Yeah. But I think, you know, a lot of it too, I mean, is that, you know, somebody can even respond. You know, I did a teaching on this. I had somebody, I don't know, last week asked me about this. And so I sent them, it was actually on July 20th. I did a teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, and so if you're curious and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? July 20th, it was a Wednesday night. Uh, I taught on it in depth um, that you could go. And so as a resource case, you're like, I don't even have a clue what you guys are talking about. Um, it's biblical. We believe in it. We believe that if you want it, you can have it. And uh, we believe that it's a great resource. And, and it's an, But part of that is learning to work with the Holy Spirit. And really, it's learning to yield to the Holy Spirit to flow through you. I had a very difficult time. I grew up in spirit-filled churches. I had a very difficult time getting filled with the Holy Spirit um, because I'm very analytical and I'm trying to figure out how it works. Like naturally speaking, it's like Adam. If I speed it up, I slow it down. Like, does this make a difference? You know, like what do I need to do to figure this thing out? And uh, you know, I have a good friend of mine named Trey who's been here before and visited with me uh, and has seen. He's been here to service. He was here the night Pastor Sam was here. His prayer language started with "duh." The syllable, D-A, duh. And he said for nine months, that's all he had. We were talking about it not too long ago. And then I didn't know this. And he said, and I said, well, what would you do? And he said, I just kept doing it. He said, and what happened? He said, one day I learned how to surrender my thought and because it's not mental. You know, and a lot of times there's a disconnect between our heart and our, and we're trying to figure out mentally. Well, it's not natural. It's a spiritual operation. That's happening. And so we have to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit and to allow Him to begin to pray through us. And what happens? It's, the Bible says it's a divine language that's between us and God. Mine doesn't, isn't like Adam's. Mine's not like Joey's. They're totally different. It's a direct line from heaven from me to God. And the Bible, the best part about it is this. The devil doesn't have a clue what I'm praying. And so he can't get in the way and mess with it. He doesn't know it. And so, uh, you know, but it's exactly what he said. It's a language that you've got to grow into and develop. And the more that you do it, the more that you practice it, the more that you apply it, the easier it is for you to step over to that place. Um, because it's getting your mind, I mean, your mind is not totally disengaged by any stretch of the imagination. But it is allowing your spirit man to operate through you. So, do you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, you know, Jude 20 talks about, you know, when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, that you're building yourself up upon your most holy faith. And so for the enemy, because the enemy, just like John 10 talked about, comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. So if you are in the process of getting filled with the Holy Ghost, the evidence speaking in tongues, then it's an opportune time for the enemy to come against you because he knows the capabilities and power of a believer when they're spirit-filled Christians. Um, and so you are praying that perfect prayer that the Bible talks about. but And it won't sound like anything you've ever heard before, right? And it's not supposed to. This is a heavenly language. We're used to the English and Spanish and all these others, like 15,000 languages, known languages on the planet. And the only one that the enemy has a problem with is tongues. Imagine that. So over in Acts, the second chapter, he talks about that these guys were speaking in tongues. It says, but the others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying that these guys are just drunk. 
How many of you ever been around a drunk, right, and hear them talking? They sound, it's gibberish. So that's what they thought that was. These guys have been on the wine this morning. They're not filled with the Holy Ghost, but Peter set them straight. So go to Acts, the second chapter, if you want to get in detail and see what happened there that day. We're going to jump down to the fifth question. We'll come back to the fourth one after that. We're just going to flip them. So the, the next question we had was this. <clears throat> Do you believe that Christians have a choice <clears throat> Excuse me, whether to die and go to heaven or to stay? Now, uh, you know, this is a very, very broad, broad question. Um, but they are, but it's, I mean, it is a legitimate question is that as believers, do we have a, in a sense, a choice whether we want to go ahead and be with Jesus or if we want to stay? Uh, you know, Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 1. Let me get over there. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is speaking to a church. I'm eventually going to get there on my technology. But in verse 21, it says this. He says, um, for, to, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He says, if I live, I do, or I, he says, if I do live, I can be or do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to be or to go and be with Christ, which is far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And so a lot of times people get that question from this verse. But, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, you have to really understand what he's talking about and his where he's at in his life. Uh, because the question is, is, can we decide when we're ready to go? This is what I would say. Number one, have you fulfilled the call of God on your life? Are you, and the second side of that is, are you satisfied? Have you reached a place where you are satisfied with this? I'll give you an example. And I've been in the room when this has happened. Where you have someone who is elderly, who's sitting there, just waiting on their family to get there. They're like, I want to tell my kids bye. I want to see all the grandkids. And they may wait days. A day, two days, three days. You know, they may have physical challenges. They may have a sickness. Or, but they sit there and they wait. And the last kid will show up. They say, hey, I just wanted to tell you that I love you. I'm proud of you. Within five minutes, they're gone. Yeah. Well, how do you explain that? Now, I'll just say this. The only people that I've ever been around that I've experienced that happening with are believers. I've never been around someone who was not a Christian that, in a sense, could make that decision. Uh, but I have been around believers that they say, hey, I want to see this, this, and this. And, but they were satisfied with life. Uh, you know, and Paul, truly, at this point of his life, he says, look, I've, I've finished my course. Later on in, the, in Philippians, he says that. I've ran my race. I've finished my course. But even here, he says, it's better for you that I stay. And so I'm going to stay. Why? Because it says right here, because I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So that should be the motivation of our life as, as believers is that, man, we want to live fruitful lives for Christ. You know, and, and so I think those are two important questions that you've got to ask yourself. If, if you know, and I, obviously I don't know the setting of why this person asked this question necessarily. But it says, do we get to choose whether we die or go to heaven or do we stay? This is my answer. It depends. It depends. There's not a clear-cut answer. If you have lived a life that, it, that you've now fulfilled what God has called you to do, and you're ready, I believe God will honor that. I believe He will. But you need to have satisfied what He's called you to do. And you've got to be satisfied with your life in that way. And so those are... Um, did we have anything else about that, or was that pretty much our conclusion? 
Well, well, we talked about one example in the Bible over in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, if you want me to share that one. Sure. Um, where it talks about King Hezekiah, where he actually oh, took yeah. sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a sickness and a recovery um, situation. And so over in Isaiah, the 38th chapter, it says, About that time Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He said, he gave the king this message. This is what the Lord said. And I thought this was, I never read it like this before, but the Lord said, set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. So when Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And then he broke down, wept bitterly. The fourth verse says, and then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. So the Lord sending him another message. He says, go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord said. The God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will rescue you in this city from the king of uh, Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. So the Lord sent the first message. What was the first message? Get your stuff square. It's about to be over. But then he heard his prayer. He cried out to the Lord. He said, I'm in the prime of my life. I've got a lot left to do. And a part of that is being, fulfilling the, what God has called you to do. And King Hezekiah here was living a righteous life before, before the Lord. And so he said, you know what? You're right. I'll give you another 15 years. Yep. And I think, you know, and that does kind of go, it dovetails both ways. Is that, hey, if you can choose, and Paul said that, that if you can choose to leave, that means you could also choose to stay. Hey, God, I'm not ready. And God will honor that. God will honor that. And so, you know, now if, if you're dealing with with symptoms in your body and this type of thing, that's where you've really got to get on the word and stand and believe. It's exactly what he, what Hezekiah did. He set his face to the wall and said, God, I, I'm not ready. And, and so God responded and said, hey, I'm going to give you more time. The next question that we had, which is similar in topic to a degree, but... Uh, it says this is that if someone commits suicide and they're saved, do they still go to heaven? You know, there's a teaching, um, and I haven't heard it lately, but I do know that in the past this was taught greatly by uh, lots of denominations. That if somebody committed suicide, they were going to hell um, because it was viewed as murder, which by definition, suicide is murder. It is the taking of a human life. Uh, but, um, you know, there's actually four accounts throughout Scripture that, t- refer, that actually show a suicide. Uh, one of them was King Saul. One of them was his armor bearer. Um, then there was another guy. And then there was uh, Judas, obviously, in the New Testament. Um, you know, so only four times does it speak about suicide throughout Scripture. Um, but the simple answer is, I believe, yes, it is possible. Uh, here's why. Because your body doesn't get saved. Your spirit man gets saved. Your spirit man is eternal. And in that moment, I mean, I, I've never personally wanted to commit suicide. I had a sister who, had try, who tried multiple attempts as a teenager. Um, you know, so it's not something foreign to me. Um, she had multiple failed attempts. And uh, I've, obviously, having been a youth pastor, I've dealt with this many times where young people would talk about wanting to kill themselves and what would happen. Um, here's what I would say is that many times what happens is that people get so overwhelmed, they see no way out, and their only answer is, I need to, I need to make everything stop. Now, is it God's best? Absolutely not. You're robbing yourself and you're robbing God of what He has for you. And, and you may be at a place where it says that, where you've come to the point where it says, I don't know how to cope anymore and I don't know what else to do. And to, to have the thought 
that I'm just going to end this early so I can just go and be with Jesus. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell, but what I am saying is that you're robbing yourself of what God wanted to do through you. You know, and it's a, and and look, and I I have somebody who was like an older brother to me who committed suicide. In my knowledge, he was the only young person that I knew that was truly a Christian. And I struggled greatly with the fact that he killed himself. I was like 14 at the time. He was 18. And he lived across the street from me and they had moved. And then within six months, he shot himself. And I'm thinking, I thought he was a Christian. Like that was my thought as a 13, 14 year old kid. You know, but, but yes, I do believe, number one, because there's grace and there's mercy. Amen. And to judge somebody this side of heaven and say, well, they're going to go to hell. First off, we're not the judge to begin with. That's the Lord's place. But at the same time, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I have an idea of where the question came from. And I don't think it's something that this person was necessarily contemplating. But uh, if those thoughts come, you have to know that that's the work of the enemy. John 10, 10, what does it say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only purpose. Well, you can only be effective for God to affect people for all of eternity on this side of heaven. Because once you go to heaven, you don't get to affect people here any longer. You, you can go read about that. Where you see, you know, Jesus gave a parable and he talks about a certain man. This wasn't some random story. That there was a certain rich man and Lazarus. And he says, send Lazarus back. And Abraham said, no, they have the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets to tell them. And if they won't listen to them, they wouldn't listen even if we sent somebody back from the dead. So you got to know that, that once this life's over, your ability to affect the kingdom of God for all of eternity, is, it's over. We set that tone now. Um, you know, and so those are some things that, to answer the question, because I know people struggle with that. If, if my loved one committed suicide, where are they? If they were truly saved... Now, I say truly saved because I think a lot of people give lip service. And they pray a prayer and think, oh, well, I'm going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. And I'm not to judge. If, but if they were truly saved, in other words, if they truly had accepted Jesus as their Lord, I believe they're in heaven. Amen. I do. So, y'all have anything to add on that? I do. Uh, uh, the first thing is we have to realize uh, that as we said, suicide being murder, it's a sin. So in order for me to justify that if someone commits suicide, they immediately go to hell, then what I would have to say is that if your last act on this earth is a sin, you're going to hell. So if someone goes and commits adultery and the other spouse comes in and shoots them dead in the middle of the act, well, then they're going to go to hell too because they were in the middle of sin. Yeah. And and so you can't, I mean, you just can't say that if your last act on this earth is a sin that you're going to go to hell because of it. No. Because that's, that's not the case. It isn't, it isn't what that we're doing that causes us to go to heaven or hell. It's simply a decision that we made on what Jesus Christ did upon a cross uh, and, and whether or not we accept that. So That's right. Yeah. So uh, let me move on to our next question. Have you gotten any text? Oh. We'll get to that one in a minute. So here's one that I got text that I didn't give these guys, so they're going to have to answer off the fly. So, uh, praise the Lord. And uh, Joey's so excited right now, y'all have no idea. Here is the question. It says, um, how do you truly fear the Lord without fearing Him 
like the world has fear. So in other words, you know, the Bible talks about that we're to have the fear of the Lord. But it's not fear like afraid. It's not like I'm scared of God. It's not, it's really not what it's talking about. But I was listening to something this week and I, you know, so let me answer this part first. Is how do you truly fear the Lord without being afraid of Him? Uh, it's not being scared of Him. It's really being afraid of being away from Him. If you really want to kind of break it down, it's that we're concerned that, man, I don't want to be away from God. So I don't want anything in my life that would cause that to happen, a separation. And so we honor, we esteem, we value, we respect and reverence God above everything else. God, you're truly first place in my life. There's nothing more important than you. And so here's part of it is that the fear of the Lord is this. It's an awareness that God is in me. There's an awareness that God is with me all the time. And so, and that, you know, and the other side of that is that He is God and that He's actually holy. You know, and so if God's holy, then He expects me to live that way as well. And so part of that is that the fear of the Lord is this, is that it keeps my motives, my intentions, and my desires in their proper place. You know, I mean, I've heard people say it like this, is that would you do that if Jesus was standing next to you? Would you say that if he was standing right here? Would you do this? Would you think that if he could read your thoughts? Well, the Lord says he knows your thoughts before you even think them. Before you ever speak it, he already saw it as you thought it. <laughs> that's why, you know, I mean, that's what the Bible speaks about. And the Bible says that we're even, even going to give an account for every idle word, which makes me nervous, quite frankly. And it should make you nervous. Every dumb thing I've just flippantly said, the Bible says I may have to answer for that. But the fear of the Lord is this, it's not being afraid of God. It's not like, if anything, because being afraid of God, what? Makes you want to distance yourself from Him. The fear of the Lord in its proper place is this, and really it's, the best word is honor. I choose to elevate God to first place in my life. And out of that honor, that draws me close to God. If I'm afraid and it pull and it's pushing me away, that's not the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, I respect and I honor Him, which makes me want to draw close to Him. And, and so, you know, here's and so here's kind of this wasn't asked, but how do you know if you're in the fear of the Lord? I heard somebody say it this way uh, just this last week. I was listening to something. And I thought, man, that is so good. I've never thought about it like this. How do you know if you're in the fear of the Lord? I've got a question for you. What do you think you can get away with or hide from God? What do you think God doesn't know? What area of your life, what things are you hiding saying, Oh, well, God doesn't know. He won't see this. You don't really fear the Lord. Why? Because in a moment, He could wipe you off the face of the earth if He wanted to. Now, in grace and in mercy, He doesn't. But He could. And here's the thing, and this is, you know, over the last couple of Wednesdays, I've been teaching about really about eternity, is that there's more to this life than just this life. That, hey, we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before God for, our, for the life that we've lived. Well, part of what motivates my decisions here is that, hey, my decisions that I make in the here and the now and the today and the tomorrow and this week don't just affect today, tomorrow, and this week. The decisions that I make today will affect eternity. The, you know, I mean, and so even on Wednesdays, I would encourage you to go listen to, I think it's the last two Wednesdays that I've been teaching about this. 
is it's not so much a question of where you're going to spend eternity. Many of you know you're going to heaven. The question is really how. How are you going to spend it? Because it matters. And not your, your entrance into heaven is not based off of what you do in this life. But how and what you will experience for eternity is based on what we do in this life. So there is a, there, that's why it matters what we do and how we live and the decisions we make. And all of that stems out of the fear of the Lord. I'm not afraid of him, but he is a judge. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that my life will be, I, I look at it this way, will be put on the altar before God. And in a moment, fire will judge my life. And it says only things of real value will remain. That keeps fear in me. Like I'm not going to act like an idiot. Because one day I'm going to have to answer for that. I'm going to do my best to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. Because one day he's going to ask me, why didn't you love her the way I love my church? You know, and I'm going to give an account. And I only want to hear a few words from him in that moment. Well done. Good and faithful. That's what I want to hear. So I'm living my life. Why? Because I have a reverential and honoring fear of the Lord that says one day I'm going to give an account for my life. I'm going to give an account for what I do and for what I don't do. And so, you know, we have to understand I'm not afraid that God sees everything. If anything, it should give me great encouragement that God has given me grace. I mean, think about Moses and the children of Israel in the desert. God's like, I'm going to kill them all. I'm Moses, I'm done. He got tired of some people moaning and groaning. He opened up the earth and ate up 5,000 of them in a moment. Well, God says, I'm going to wipe them all out. Moses prays and says, oh no, you can't do that. And Moses actually stands in the gap. He actually prays and saves the whole nation. If I'm Moses, and when they started grumbling about me, I'm like, look, the only reason y'all are here is because I prayed for you. You should be lucky. I'll go repray, and I can get you out of here real quick. But that's me. You know, I'm not Moses. So, But we do need to understand, though, that, I mean, we serve a mighty God. That he is bigger than anything that we've seen or known or understood. Before this, he was. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He was, that's what. He's, he's what? Always has been, always will be. He was before, he's after. He's great, mighty, awesome. And the Bible says one day we will stand before him. And so we have to live this life in the fear of the Lord. Not that I'm afraid of him. I'm not living my life because I'm scared. I, I'm not living for Jesus because I just don't want to go to hell, although I definitely don't. I want to go to heaven, but man, I want to know God. And I want to impact people. And I want to see God use me. And so, um, and I think, it, I'll, I'll say this. If, if your heart is, if you know in your heart that you are um, afraid of God, it's because you haven't really got to know Him that well yet. And you need to grow in your relationship with Him and, and find out that He, it's just like we were saying earlier, that He truly is a good, loving, gracious, kind Father. He's not some... Angry tyrant sitting on the throne with a scepter, you know, waiting to whack people with it. No, the Bible says all of God's wrath was already poured out on Jesus. All of God's anger was poured out on Jesus. That's why we can have a loving father. Because God's not angry. God's not mad at you. God's not counting like, oh, you know, they got an F this week. (laughs) Send some angels down there and slap them around. They did bad. They got to get back right. It's not the way God works. Romans says that it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It's the goodness of God. 
that brings us to himself. And so um, we have to know those things. So do either of y'all have anything off the cuff you want to share on that? I got, I got something real quick. A uh, couple of things that came through my mind was uh, a healthy fear in the natural from a standpoint of, of parents, uh, our natural parents. One is you don't want to disappoint them. You know, uh, knowing that I'm a disappointment to my, my natural parents is the same way I should feel about, about a bit my relationship with God. And, and a healthy fear realizes that, hey, you know what, I don't want to disappoint my Heavenly Father. And the second thing that I thought of was there are times in life that maybe we got in trouble. Maybe our mom was at home and she said, okay, when your daddy gets home, you're going to get it. You're, you're, I'm going to tell him what you did and you're going to get it when he gets home. Well, a child that knows his father loves him uh, is not anticipating that moment, but they not, they're not afraid of their father at that moment. There's a healthy respect, that, but that what they realize in that moment is that, you know what, when I mess up, God isn't going to crush me, but there are consequences. Yeah. And it's the same in, in, in our spirit life with, with, with God is... I don't have to be afraid that he's going to punish me, but I also have to realize that when if I decide that I'm going to do something wrong, that there's the possibility that, that God is going to have to bring consequences into my life because of it. So before we move too much further, I do have one thing to say about that. We, talk, we look at, at Ephesians, the first chapter, and Ephesians, the third chapter, where Paul prayed the prayers. You know, uh, my summary, Lord, let them see all what you've done for them so that they can live in that way. And that's the expectation of God. That's why Jesus came, right, was to get us a way back to the Father and have an opportunity to live a life of righteousness before God. So it's not, and we, and we see Christians a lot of times living that life of um, fear, literal fear, uh, of to where they think that God is the one sitting on the throne with the scepter waiting to slap you on the hand if you do something. That's a miserable way of life. And so you and I have an opportunity like no other. Uh, to live for the creator of heaven and earth, that for him to be able to work through us on a day-to-day basis. So living in fear, that's the furthest thing from God. He told Timothy, Paul did, for God's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, one of love, and one of a sound mind. That's the lifestyle for me and you. Yeah. All right. We got one last question. You had not seen this one yet either. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> This one here says, how do you know when you're in true faith and when you're just bulldogging it? Anybody not know what bulldogging it means? You're trying to fake it till you make it, you know. Um, and I want to give you a scripture on this. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Uh, and, I'm, and this is actually a very legitimate question. And, and there's several ways that you can take this. Whether you're talking about salvation, whether you're just somebody that's talking about it from, um, you know, are you a Christian in name only? You could be that. You could also be talking about it from the standpoint of believing God. How do I know when I'm really in faith and when am I really trusting the Lord? But this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, verse 5 says. It says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. This comes out of the New Living Translation. It says, test yourselves. Surely you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope that you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. So how do you know these things? The Bible says to test it. Well, how do you know? How do you know if you're in faith? Well, you you can look at your... Number one, is Jesus really the focus of your life? For salvation, are you really saved? Who's in control? 
Lord, there can only be one. Quite frankly, it's either you or him. So, if you're really in the faith, then your life is not your own. You've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. The Bible says that, hey, my life is not my own. It's been purchased. I'm no longer in control. So, as far as the salvation side of it, who's running your life? Do you pray and ask the Lord about situations or do you just do whatever you feel and whatever you think? That tells you who's in control. When it comes to uh, believing God for certain things and knowing if you're really in faith, this is what I would tell you. What, what's, the, what's the abundance of your words? What are you talking about the most? Why? Because it says out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. If you really want to find out what's in your heart, just listen to what you say. Because that tells you what's really in your heart. And faith proceeds out of the heart, not out of the mouth, not out of the mind. Faith proceeds out of your spirit man and out of your spirit life that faith will rise. Well, your mouth's going to talk. And so if you really want to know, test your words. Test what you say. Test those things that you're, you know, I mean, if you're believing God for healing, are you constantly saying things about your symptoms or are you declaring the word over yourself? Because that's going to tell you where you're really at. And now, it, it can't just be words that you're saying because that's what we say. That's called presumption. I'm just going to do this repetition thing and, and God's just going to heal me. Well, no, faith has to be activated. Well, that's got to come out of your spirit. And that's where that comes. Well, how do you get faith? From the Word of God. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, the Word is... is preeminent there but you've got to be speaking those things out and so if you're just faking it till you make it you're going to know it because you're going to talk right at church but not right at home you're going to talk right around other believers but when you get around people at work you're going to change what you you know there's only supposed to be one version of you right how many of you realize that i need to see some hands there's supposed to be one version of you not my church version, my home version, my work version, my buddy version, my, my hunting version. My, like there's one version. We were totally saved and delivered by Christ. And so we have to know that. So we have to examine ourselves. The Bible actually says judge yourself so you won't be judged. We were talking about that earlier about the fear of the Lord. If I'll judge myself and say, man, I got some stuff to work on. That actually pleases the Lord. Why? Because it shows that my heart is wanting to be even... Um, more pleasing to him. And so, um, anything to add? So I think about one of my favorite scriptures uh, is Mark 5, where the woman with the issue of blood. And then, now, remember, now this woman is not even born again, right? I mean, Jesus is standing there. He's not yet ascended to the Father. It says, a woman who had suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years, a long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly, taking all of her money and leaving her worse than, than she was before, had heard about Jesus. And he talked about it a while ago over in Romans, the 10th chapter, where faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this all is, is linked together. If you're not plugged into a body of believers anywhere, how, it's going to be tough for you to be able to hear the gospel. So Faith, if you've not known that Jesus is the healer, it's going to be tough for you to trust in his, in his work. It goes on to say, it says, and she slipped in from behind and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself, if I can just put my finger on his robe, I can be well. And the moment she did, the, the, blood, the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change and the plague was over and it was all it was done with. And so she had heard, right, hearing Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word because she had spent all that she had for 12 years on physicians and they 
to, she was still sick, sick as she was. And in fact, she was getting worse. But the Bible says that she heard about Jesus. So it's a trusting and a knowing that he is the creator of heaven and earth. And I trust in everything. If you're trusting him on your life and where you spend this eternity and how you spend eternity, sickness, there's so much we don't know about healing and things. But God is the healer. And that's why Jesus came and he stood at that scourging post for you and I. And he took those those stripes on our behalf so that we could be made whole and be made well, not just physically, but spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Amen. You're out of wisdom for the night. They answered it really uh-huh. good. <laughs> well, you know, how many of you have enjoyed this series that we've been on?